Hello, everybody, and welcome to Legacy's Journey, where we talk about creating what outlives you. I am your host, Cameron Williams, owner of Kinley Consulting, where we focus on strategic financial growth for marketing agencies so that they can live the dream life they deserve and not be a slave to their business. And we do that through CFO services. So y'all know the drill. I'm always on the hunt for not good guests, but great guests. And so, you know, we went, we, this is conference season. So we went to Funnel Hacking Live. Shout out to Russell Brunson. And I met up with a young lady that was like, hey, we should meet. And then we started talking. And it's like we were talking about the same stuff, just different sides of the coin. So we have Mrs. Carrie Flynn here. And y'all are going to get to meet her and hear her awesomeness. But to get it started, tell the people, Name, company name, how long you've been doing it, and we're going to get into the fun stuff. All right. I'm Carrie. Last name is Flynn. been married almost 20 years, <laughs> uh, 19 years in April. Uh, I live near Orlando, Florida. My company name is Virtual Simplicity, and I'm a fractional CMO and marketing consultant. I've been in business almost eight years, maybe nine. I don't know. However old my youngest child is is how old the business is. So she'll be eight next year, so eight almost eight years old. There you go. All right, cool. So let's start out with this one. This is a pretty good one. So let's go back eight years ago. Mm -hmm. And for whatever reason, you come up with this wonderful idea to start your own company. Your <laughs> husband says... Oh, he loved it. Oh my God, are you kidding? My husband is uh, the seven on the Enneagram in this family and he's got all the awesome ideas. He's in sales. So he thought it was like the best idea ever. But I will say this as a caveat, I didn't start out like thinking I was going to build a company. I have to share that. Um, I was still teaching public school at the time. My kids were like eight years old and four months old. So they were really little. And I really started as a way to just have another stream of revenue. I wasn't 100% sure it was going to turn into this, what it is now. When I started, I originally thought it might just be like, I hate the phrase side hustle, but that was kind of what it was. It was like a secondary business thing. And I didn't, I didn't know what it was going to become. I mean, that makes sense. Cause I mean, you already had a good job. You were doing something yep. great. So, okay. That makes sense. So you said he was super excited. Totally. So what did he say? Like, how did this conversation go? Babe, I want to start my business. I basically said to him, because I started out in more of the operations side, I started as a virtual assistant and then became like an integrator and then started working in launches. And so he was happy because one, it, it was like a way to bring in more revenue. But more importantly, I think he really wanted me to have a sense of purpose and a sense of enjoyment and challenge. And I didn't, I liked teaching, don't get me wrong, but there's only um, so far you can go with teaching to where you kind of get limited, not only in revenue, but you also get limited in like your ability to think outside the box and do things that are different and have new challenging experiences on the daily. And it was pretty limiting. Um, this is all pre-COVID. So it, this was back when it was very different. It got a lot harder <laughs> when COVID came along. But so I think he was really excited at the opportunity for me to like have something to that I liked and enjoyed and had purpose in. And that was that was why he was so happy, I think, about it. Yeah, and I mean, funny <clears throat> story, I actually wanted to be a teacher. Oh, really? In college. Oh, yeah. But I didn't because I wanted to coach high school football because of the impact it had on my life. Yeah. But then I was like, man, I'm like, you can't make any money, really? At least yeah. enjoy it. So I was kind of like, I don't know if I like that. So no, that was, that was one of the biggest reasons why I started that business and then why I ended up leaving it teaching was because of the money, honestly. And I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Okay, so he's happy. So now what is year one like? Because you said you start off doing it on the side. So yeah. okay, get a client in year one? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I had... Probably in the first year of business, I made probably $25,000, okay, which okay. when you are doing it like one or two hours a day, you know, outside of your full-time job and you have two children, like that's a big, that's a lot, right? 
So, um, you know, I probably had a handful of clients. I've always kind of worked on retainer pretty much most of the time, even before I had the business I have now. So it was pretty manageable. I would have sometimes two, sometimes four clients at a time, and then would do like projects on the side here and there. So it ended up working out really well for the fact that I was doing it on the side. And I didn't feel like I was burning myself out either, which was really key. Like I didn't do a lot of work on the weekends. I just did it a lot when he was gone. He travels for work a lot. So I would do it at night when the kids were in bed. Smart, smart. Okay. okay. You brought up the kids. Yep. Um, two young ladies that are doing great. So tell us. So like now we're seven going into year eight. <clears throat> What is life like in keeping that balance? Because of course, you just said your husband travels. You have two, and they're not tiny kids. We're talking middle school no. and high school. So seven and yeah. So what is that like to balance that out to still give them time, but still be able to run the business at the high level that you are? Like, go yeah. into that for us a little bit. I don't really believe in balance. Um, I used to believe in that. Um, I'm not sure if. Meaning we use women, especially, I will say, uh, sometimes get told that there's like this way to have it all. And I don't think that's possible. So there have been sacrifices that have been made uh, to on both sides of that coin, let's just say. Um, now I'm in a really good place where I can have much more healthy balance because I work for myself full time. The balance was much harder when I was, I, I worked two jobs for several years. I didn't quit my teaching job right away. So it mm. took me a few years of kind of, there was an imbalance of my family or there were maybe was a little bit of an imbalance on the other side where I didn't get to put as a lot of effort into growing my business as quickly. But now I'm in a really good spot where my children are both in school. I have a high schooler and I have a daughter who's in elementary school. And so I can essentially do the majority of what I do in the school hours. It works out great. So I can start at nine, nine 30 and be done by four. And it's perfect. Um, I don't feel like I have to sacrifice time at night. Like I used to, to work. Um, I've, I've worked very hard <laughs> to get to a place where I can make those choices today. It was not always the case, but um, I feel like I've gotten a lot better about balancing that um, I like what I do. Genuinely, I really do. So it um, it doesn't feel like work all the time. But um, I also want to set an expectation because I have daughters that, um, you know, they don't have to, you know, put the extreme of that, that, that heavy, oh, your life has to be, how do you balance it all with your kids? And like, no, like there's going to be times where it's out of balance. Like, how do you take care of yourself in those moments? And Maybe you need to make some sacrifices about what you're really capable of taking on. That was a huge mm -hmm. lesson I learned during the years I was working two jobs because um, I there was just a point where you're not capable of taking on maybe yeah. more clientele and more work. And because of that, um, I had to make some sacrifices about how quickly I was going to grow. And that is in the company. And that's okay. Like it, that was my decision and my path. And, it, and that was what I wanted. Um, and I'm in that place again, where we're, we're really kind of getting ready to scale and I am not capable of doing the workload that it will take to get there. And so there are going to be some certain decisions that have to be made about in the company, what do I do? So I've learned from the past <laughs> to not, to be smart about not overdoing it, you know, on myself again. Okay. You said a lot right there. So I hope <laughs> that the people got it. For me, though, you hinted at this one part about as a woman is slightly different because yep. you're like, you got to kind of make certain choices because can you go into that? Because, sure. of course, we got Absolutely. women and they may be like, girl, yes, talk about it. So talk. Yeah, about it. it's just very um, as a as a mother, too, I will say it happens to women who don't have children um, also. But I will say when you have children, um, there are just a lot of outside pressures. They're not even really spoken all the time. Some, some of them are just sort of unspoken pressures that you might see in media. You might see it show up in TV shows and movies and things. But um, you just see like uh, 
the the pressure of wanting loving what you do for your work and wanting to excel at that and and being a human woman a human person and wanting to excel at that in your work also being a person wanting to improve yourself and and feel good about yourself as a human person but then you also have these other roles you fill as a woman i have my two children i also have a husband i've been married to for almost 19 years and these are roles that i play and relationships that i have and so often as a woman you're your brain, the mental load that comes with that can be very challenging and trying to balance all of those things. It's like spinning plates. And sometimes it works. You're in a good spot. Everything's flowing. And sometimes you're in a growing season of your company or you're in a maybe a difficult season financially or you know something hard happens in your family that maybe there's a death or something. And that means that the balance will shift. So so you can't keep up with that at the same level all the time. And so that means sometimes I've had to make certain choices and sacrifices to kind of restore homeostasis, if you will, within myself and within our family. So when my husband's dad died, we just moved here. And it was real evident that we were all in kind of a grieving period. It was not going to be possible for me to really carry the load of... um, more clientele and get my family settled in a new and all the different things. So I really put more energy into that. Um, and then there's times where I'm growing my company and there is certain requirements where I do have to put more emphasis into them. And that's a conversation that happens with my husband and I, and we talk about what that looks like and how is that going to work within our family? And so I think over the years, that's been the biggest lesson is how do we communicate when there's sort of shifts of, of things moving around personally and professionally that's helped the time but it, it happens to women i would say maybe in a different way than it would happen to my husband he would he will experience that differently because his he's a guy he's a dad it's just a different experience that he's having than i am so you're going on record to say that work-life balance does not exist i don't believe it does i believe that um it is possible to have a, a life that is in homeostasis or balanced, but the idea that you see out in the media, not a hundred percent sure. That's kind of the, you can have it all like yeah, have the family. I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure that that's true. Physically possible. <laughs> uh, just logistically, it is very difficult to, to do. And I do a lot of stuff because I have a husband who's traveling a lot for work on a regular basis. Um, and I have just found that there are times where I have to make certain sacrifices. Like I can't be in two places at once. And that is what happens sometimes when you have the roles that I have and the things that I have. Um, and, I, and I would say the same for... You probably have experienced that too, that there you just cannot travel to a conference and also be there for a piano recital or a um, Halloween thing at this kid's school. Or, you know, if something happens, there's sacrifices that have to be made sometimes. Yeah, I agree. Because there was something, I think they did some type of field trip or something a few weeks ago. Mm -hmm. Oh, my wife, when she told me, to your point, like, Hey, I get that you want to make every event, but there was a point in time where I was kind of, I don't want to say holding her hostage, but she was like, you know, I feel bad because you're trying to make every one. And when you do that, we're trying to wait, wait, wait. And I can't do that because then the time passes. So I get that you want to make every single thing, but you're going to have to understand that you can't. And we'll just have to talk about it in advance. Like this is a big one. You got to make this one versus yeah. I'll take this one and don't worry about it. That's, and I'll just you know. That's 100% the conversations that my husband and I have had now is, all right, which are the things that are really important? Like what are, and, and it's really about, okay, Carrie, what are the things that you think are going to have the best ROI for you? And like, we really talk about it because he genuinely takes an interest and he wants, he's so supportive of me growing this that he but he also has his own job he has to do. And so we we just sort of decide. Like he doesn't have it. He doesn't work for himself. So he doesn't really have a say. And when he can and can't go, but I do. So I can make my 
choices about what are going to be the best options around his schedule and my kid's schedule. That's why I don't, you don't see me traveling as much as other people do probably. Like I would have loved to have gone to the conference you just went to, but I spent two weeks away in September and that was very challenging. So I kind of gave up the opportunity to go to a couple of events in October because of that. And that's okay. It's all good. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and I was just thinking about that and kind of wrestling that too on the plane ride back. I'm like, man, the I don't know what it is about Q4, but mm-hmm. it seems like it's always a ton of travel because we were gone last week. We're about to leave Wednesday. Yeah. Then I think we leave like November 29th and December 1st. So I was like, all right, Cam, you're going to have to kind of chill out because- <laughs> yeah. You know, Nana's here, which is great. They get time with Nana, but, you yeah. know, they work your kids, you know. They I want- totally understand. Yep. They actually got mad at me because I'm the one that's home more. And they were like, why have you been gone so much? I'm like, it just, I was only gone for five days. But it was right. like a whole thing. So I do take that into consideration that they need me home at longer gaps. So I think about all of that stuff when I make choices. So I don't try to stack them back to back to back because that would. Mm, and see, so I thought that was smart. I'm like, okay, do this. this oh, me too. Horrible. Yeah. I'm thinking. It was, I'll never do that again. They got really mad yeah. at me. I'm like, you know, Cam, you may have to be a little bit more selective going into 2020. Yeah. You just live and you learn. That's been my experience. Like, yes. Yes. Okay, cool. So now we got that. Now. With you traveling and having, I'm going to stay a successful business. I'm going to throw that out there on record. What do you hope the kids will get from this path you're blazing? Because to your point, it wasn't easy. I had to work. Well, first I was a teacher then I had to work two jobs because it was a side hustle. Then I got it to the point where I can completely leave it, but I'm Mm -hmm. still trying to be a great mom and be active and attentive. So what would be a few things that you hope they would get from your example or your model? Um, I think the biggest thing, because they're girls, is that I hope they see what's possible for them, that they have options. Um, I got into teaching not because I loved it, but because it was safe and reliable. Um, And it's a very like, you know, I love my parents, don't get me wrong. But you know, I was raised by baby boomers who are very like, conservative in their finances, and they are big on having a good job that has retirement and benefits. Um, and so that's how I ended up in teaching because it was a great op. It was really fit at that time back in 2005. That was the answer. So that it fit, it fit that kind of mold. Um, so I, I want them to see like what it, what good risk taking can give to you. Um, and why it's important to not just consider what is considered safe and secure and reliable, but also like your purpose and what you're good at and what your talents are and also what you really like to do. Like you're only around uh, on the, we're here for such a short time. Like you shouldn't be spending 15 years of your career like I did um, in a job that doesn't give you, you know, enjoyment and purpose. Now I know that not every day in my company is delightful. (laughs) (laughs) there are hard times but it gives me a really good sense of purpose and so that's the biggest lesson I want my daughters to see is what's possible for them and and secondly the options that they have that they don't have to just go straight to college and then go to this like there's so many more opportunities that they can choose to do um you know I don't necessarily care to be like a hero or anything like that but I want them to see what's possible and the legacy that I'm trying to leave for them. My, my grandmother and my mother were both entrepreneurial. So I'm trying to kind of leave that sort of legacy for them of women that have sort of blazed that trail for me. Both of them did that for me. So I want to kind of give that to my daughters too. Okay. So I'm wanting to give them that. So if they said at 18, they graduate high school and they say, mom, I don't want to go to college. I want to work with you because I want to do what you do. Are you sending them to college anyway? Are you giving them the keys to the kingdom? How are you handling that? Not that either. Um, (laughs) No, I've been really open, especially with my older daughter, that, you know, if she doesn't want to go to college, she does currently. But if she didn't, we would support her. You know, if you want to go 
to a trade school or you want to go just start working, like, awesome, like, good for no, you. Working for you. But if they came to me and said they wanted to work for me, I actually am kind of like hesitant to work with family. <laughs> so, um, but I would be willing to like mentor them and, and give them, like, I've ta talked about a little bit, I think this with you a little bit. Um, about bringing on my daughter for the child tax credit or whatever it is, like just to give her a, ta a taste to see what it's like to work in something like this. And she has some good skills. So I would probably consider doing something part-time, but giving her the keys to the kingdom, like she would have to really want to do that. I would never expect that either one of my kids has to do what I do. This is my thing. It's my vision and they don't necessarily have to be like the taking it over if I ever want to retire or something. That's totally up to them. But I'm happy to train them and show them and like let them work with me in a some sort of role. But okay. nobody's required to go to college if they don't want to. Okay. Okay. Now let's talk about regular. So this is the time that we talked about the balance. It's Friday, Saturday, Sunday. What are some things that you guys do as a family to just connect? Like you work super hard Monday through Friday. Is there like a certain thing you guys do every week or a certain place you go or a certain food? Like we do pancake day. So they know every Saturday nice. we're doing pancakes. Dad's making them and we're throwing whatever in there. That sounds so. fun. I might have to steal that. Um, well, I typically do cook them breakfast on, on one of the weekend days. We just built a pool. So, uh, in our backyard. So that has been something that until the, the weather has gotten a little bit cool for that now down here, but the first month of that every weekend we were in the pool. So that's a lot of fun. So doing stuff like that, like hanging out, we live in a smaller area of Orlando. So we like to go to different festivals or events that are happening in our little town or go, um, go trying restaurants. This is, we enjoy going out to eat a lot. Um, within the budget, of course, because that could get really freaking expensive with four, four people. So, but that's the thing we like to do the most, I would say, is like adventuring around here, trying food, um, you know, going to festival. We just went to the craft, the, the arts festival they have in our town this weekend. So that was fun. Um, and just like putzing around, we're pretty chill people. So, you know, we're not like outdoorsy. So, you know, we might get in the Jeep and go drive around, go do something fun like that. Myself. Okay. <clears throat> now let's switch a little bit. So, well, no, no, no. Before we switch, what about you and husband? So now yeah. he's traveling because I can see, and I know even in our life with my wife just being a stay-at-home mom, like we can live in two different worlds. Like oh, I can sure. be here completely isolated mm -hmm. and she's dealing with the kids majority of the time. So what are some things that you guys do to make sure that you continue to connect and make it to year 19, which less. Listen, I, got, I was very young when I got married, guys. Please understand. <laughs> I was 22 years old. Um, I would say ever. I, this is a privileged thing I'm about to say. Um, so at this point where I'm at now, we do weekly date nights. Um, there was okay. a time in our lives where that was not financially possible or just like physically, logistically possible. In the past, we did monthly date nights we had a we could afford to do that so whatever we could afford to do time wise and money wise we always prioritize like a couple hours a week or a month so right now we're at about weekly date nights that's a part of the budget so we go out usually fridays for a couple hours sometimes it's on saturdays um i pay for a babysitter um for my youngest daughter still Shout out to the babysitters um yes i know i have an oldest child i know everybody asks me about that why isn't your other daughter babysitting her because i want them to be living when i come home we're not quite there yet <laughs> so um i want my house to still be up and running and i also have a, a five-month-old golden retriever that needs to be taken care of too so it's like that's just not gonna work out right now but it's worth the money to me to invest in that. So we do that. Highly recommend it. Um, but we're also really good friends, he, he and I. Like, I think that so longer you're with someone, um, we've nurtured our friendship as much as we have the relationship side of things. So um, 
we talk all the time. We are connected. Even when he's gone, we talk every day, multiple times a day. So that's another thing I would say. If you're not in dating. Yeah. We, but I mean, he's literally like, we're really, really good. We're at that phase of the relationship where we're just like very, very, very close, like friendly. So that's another piece of it. I would say if, if you're not doing that, that's just as important because it's so easy when your kids are young to fall into like a cohabitation relationship um, because of how exhausting it is to raise children um, when they're that age and to work your jobs and be a human person and all the things you're trying to do at the same time. So that has what has worked for us. We that has helped us to evolve together Um, because you evolve over time and change. And I think staying such good friends and keeping up with each other has allowed us to like evolve together more easily. Sarah, you're a free marriage. I mean, right. I was just about to say I'm no marriage expert by any means. Nah, <laughs> I mean, you got to think to make it to 19 years in today's time. society. Cause you know, I know, I know. craziness out there. I'm like, I could never go back. So I think that's something to be applauded, to be honored. So Kudos to you and our move. We are proud of ourselves for that one little accomplishment. (laughs) Okay. So let's do, I got a question for you. Okay. Now, again, you're at year seven going on eight. So what would you say are two or three things that contribute to your success? Like if I did not do these things, I would like for me, if I'm not going to the gym, and, and getting my prayer time in in the morning today is going to be terrible. I know that's right, especially about the act exercise parts at my age. <laughs> that's so necessary. Okay, two or three things that has been the biggest contributors to my success so far. Um, I would say if I number one would be like just the emphasis on relationships with people and business. Um, I cannot stress that enough. I would not be here. If I didn't have an emphasis on relationship marketing is what we call it in the marketing world, but you can call it business development. I don't care what you call it, but just emphasizing building constant good relationships with people that can either be great connection partners for you or even potential clients. And sometimes it's just friends, just great friends you have in business. But every relationship I have is led me here, like every single one to some capacity, past client relationships current clients, friends, colleagues, collaboration partners. That's easily been the biggest benefit. It's still my number one source of business too, like easily. And number two, I would say is putting myself in places, uh, whether it be a mastermind or a conference or something where my current clients are. Like I'm having to put myself in places uh, invest money and time into these spaces. That is a very uncomfortable for me as an introvert, but also as someone who's monetarily not there in my own company, but I serve these people. I work for these people. Mm-hmm. I've had to do that. And that has had a huge impact on me. It allows me to not only build relationships, but just be in the space with these people. So I learn so much about where they're at, what are they struggling with? Yeah, what's going great um, and all this stuff. So even if I don't bring home, not everyone's going to hire me, you know, excuse me. Um, but I will say it's just had it had the biggest impact on me, it allowed me to. It just pushed me to be in those spaces, but it also pushed me to to be better at my own business at the same time. So I was able to develop my own company. Too, you know, it's almost like being put in the deep end of a pool in some ways, and that was hugely. It was awful at the beginning. Every time you go into something and you're like the newbie, you're the lowest on the rung. It sucks. It feels horrible. It's so uncomfortable. But it it's like when you go from caterpillar to butterfly. It's like you start that process again in your company yeah. and I came out so much better. I would not be here today with those without those experiences for sure. Easily. Yeah, and I feel that because I mean like coming back from um Funnel Hacking Live, it's the same thing. It's like uh-huh. and then marketing, 
that's <laughs> always changing. Yep. It's like you come home and you're like, dang, that's a lot of stuff I just learned. Which one am I actually going to implement or execute? Right. You know, and that's why we do so many um, as well to just, what are they thinking? What are they trying to do, accomplish? What are their goals? How are they using this tech? What insights are they trying to get? Mm-hmm. And consequently, what can we walk along and partner with them? Because maybe I can build something that'll help support that or give them that. So oh, yeah, totally. I definitely get that one. All right. Here we go. Top two or three things that being a business owner has taught you about yourself. Oh, man, that's such a hard question. That's a really good question, though. Um, I would have to say probably the, the number one thing I've learned about myself is um, just about what I really um, like and enjoy doing. I found out really who I was in the process of starting my business, which sounds crazy, but um, I was sort of lost in following like what other people thought was a good idea for a long time when I was teaching full-time. And this process has allowed me to really become more of myself and be comfortable with that process of becoming more like who I'm probably meant to be, that real version of myself versus um, just you know, going along and like do it flowing, going with the flow, which I have a tendency to do. I'm not a big disruptor. (laughs) So I think that that's been the number one thing. Um, And secondly, it allowed me to kind of build better boundaries. Um, I think the more, um, big time. Well, I, you know, when you work in service provision and you work with people who are in professional services, there's just a lot of opportunity to see like, boundaries run amok, like no boundaries and people who have their own version of what working looks like. And I think I, it allowed me to see what type of boundaries I wanted to set for myself, but it also allowed me to give like space for clients. Like if they want to work late at night and they want to do things different than I would, they, it gives me the space to allow them to have different boundaries, definitions for themselves. And I can still hold mine. And both can co- work together. Like it, it can work at the same time. And I think that's been personally very helpful. It's allowed me to have a voice and be able to like say, this is how I'm going to do this and not, and not feel bad about it. And I was not that comfortable with it at the beginning. And I am much more comfortable today, eight years later, having set boundaries, set office hours, you know, blah, 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 all those things. Those are the, probably the top two, I would say. Okay, okay. I like that. Setting boundaries. We've never had that said on the show. So that's really wow. Yeah, a lot of people say a lot of times like that they weren't patient. We've had like, I don't like to make big decisions. I want a one and done it. Um I don't like somebody say like that they would try to find the path of least resistance, whereas the business forces them to go above and beyond. Oh, sure. Yeah, that's true. So yeah, we get a lot of different. I empathize with that answer. <laughs> I don't like resistance either. It's okay, but you're still great. All right, so let's go this now. I'm kind of going off script. So I'm looking right here at my notes in the industries you serve. So to keep it general, you say professional services. Yep. But I see you say family law firms, financial firms, real estate, and mm-hmm. consulting agencies. What have you found may be a difference between all of those or a common thread? Because some people may say, well, you should, you know how they do. Oh, oh yeah. you're you should niche down. But you may say that there is a common thread. There is. This. There's a huge commonality and it's the customer journey or there, what some people call the sales cycle. It's, it's pretty similar for majority of people in professional services. So I can come in and I don't have to like think about (laughs) building different. I don't have to. It's harder when you work in like e-commerce, but you also work with an agency, but you also work with a service. It's hard to do because the the way that a customer is going to go through the marketing process from A to Z is is way different depending on those industries. But they're pretty similar um, in law firms. Same with financial firms, how they get clients how they sell to clients to get them to work with them, how they could do, you know, lifetime customer value stuff is pretty similar 
from A to Z. Uh, the difference between them is going to be their people they serve and their problems, their desires, like where they spend their time online. Where do they spend their time not online? You know, all of those places are very different. <laughs> and so that is where there's some differences. So how you might approach organic social media would probably be different for each of those clients. How you might approach business development and where those people should be them as the CEO or the founder or the lead partner, where they should be spending time networking and doing some business development, that's going to be totally different for somebody who's in a law firm than maybe a real estate agent or even a real estate investor. They might be hanging out in two different spots. Um, their messaging is going to be different big time. Um, so those are some differences. So you can, it's pretty easy for me because I can build out and find the best opportunities in a very similar way. But how we would approach some of those other things would be different. I would honestly make the argument that every business is unique in and of itself and thus has a unique viewpoint on their clients, their messaging, their way they do business development. So I kind of have a, I would take a unique approach to everybody, regardless of who I work with. Okay, so let's talk about that messaging because... That's something that is probably, to your point, unique for everybody. Yep. Have you found that, I don't know how to answer this or ask it, <laughs> but with messaging being different, what makes an agency special to really bring that out? So like everybody knows, of course, we do CFO and accounting services. Yep. So to your point, that's going to be different because our people, ain't, especially if we're niched, our people mm -hmm. hang out and are in a completely different mindset than like yeah. a law firm. So totally. if I were looking for a marketing agency, because we're going to have people here from all over the world, what would you say makes an agency a must have where you need to sign with them if they're, I don't know if it's they're asking certain questions or. Yeah, I would say start, this is going to sound kind of counter culture maybe, but you want to have somebody that is alignment with your core values. That's a must have. And then I would also say, I am kind of, this is where I kind of will die on the hill. I don't believe in cookie cutter strategies. So if somebody is trying to push something on you that you know doesn't align, or you just have a sense, even if you're not, like law firms sometimes, uh, or even some financial firms, they're not necessarily marketing savvy, but they can be aware enough about their clients to know that's not going to work. Like, if you just have a sense that someone's trying to push something on you to sell you something that maybe doesn't feel in alignment for you, it's a non-starter for me. Like somebody should be coming to you and be looking at your business, your what you've been doing, what's worked in the past, where do you want to go in the next year, and be looking at you and not necessarily pushing a cookie cutter sales system or strategy or what have you on you because... That's just what they sell. That may not work best for you. And so that's really important that you um, keep that in mind. And then I always say, number three, you gotta, you must get, see some sort of references or you must see some sort of like samples. Like that's a note. That's like must have. Like protect yourself <laughs> from getting, hiring people that are not going to be a good fit for you. Um, those are the, the three things I would say, like right off the bat, do those things. Um, doesn't mean they're bad. Doesn't mean that cookie cutter strategies are not good. But for me, I don't, I don't think it's a good idea when you're scaling. That's just, just you need to have a okay. unique plan. <laughs> okay. Let's talk about the CMO role, because of course we know over the past few years, that role has got to be really popular just yes, because of the things you said for like social media and branding and reputation mm -hmm. management. So at what point, if I am not a current agency, at what point should a company be looking to bring on that position? Because I mean, COOs are going to argue one thing, CFOs are going to argue for their key. What makes the CMO A important and mm -hmm. B around what type of revenue number should we look at bringing them in, if that's possible? It is possible. And generally speaking, revenue wise, I I personally believe you should be at super close to or at 1 million in revenue before you start 
considering bringing on a CMO. I'm, I'm very, very, very big on, I want my clients to have a good profit margin. Like I actually really think that's important. And so you don't want to put yourself in a risky position where, um, you're cutting your expenses to revenue to profit too tight. Like that makes me very nervous. So I, that's a personal preference. So I typically work in a range of one to 10 million, sometimes up to 15 million. Um, after 15 million, usually they're in a great spot to hire a full-time person. And that's the goal. We want them to be able to have a person that they can afford to pay full-time. That would be amazing. So that's number one. Um, in terms of where you're at as a company, um, you have to be in a place where you are established. You have a good, clear understanding of who you're serving um, and what you're doing. And there's no worries about where's the money going to come from. Like, oh my gosh, like if you're worrying about cash, that's a red flag. <laughs> we shouldn't be super scared about where's our money coming from on a regular basis. Um, typically, the pain points that a company or a, per, a, a founder or a CEO or lead partner is going to have is they're, they are usually the person that's overseeing growth. And sometimes they're also in charge of bringing the business in, getting the leads, figuring out all the growth and marketing. And there will come a time where somebody gets sick of dealing with that. They're, they don't want to work more hours in their firm. They're not interested in, um, they're looking long-term and trying to figure out, well, how can I increase revenue with that, with decreasing my own involvement in the company or the firm? And there's a breaking point that will happen. There's usually a fork in the road that will come up. It's usually around 1 million-ish to 3 million in revenues when we'll start to see that emerge. Um, but they're not financially prepared to hire a full-time marketing director. And that's why having a fractional CMO is a great option. It's like a third of the cost of hiring a full-time marketing director, but you get all of the benefits of having a full-time marketing director. So it's a win-win for those people. And what I would, what sometimes people call the messy middle of scaling, where you're trying to go from, oh my gosh, I'm a million dollar business to, I would love to be at 3 million or five or whatever. And how do I do that? I can't physically do it where we are right now. Okay, I got two questions now then. And I'm going to say them here so that way in case I forget it, you'll know. Question <laughs> one. So does that mean a marketing agency should have its own CMO that's not the owner? And mm -hmm. B, I'm sure some of the marketing agencies that listen are going to say, man, you just made my job harder. Why pick a million? We can be a CMO at 500000 every revenue. Sure. So what is the significance of that million dollar number? And do you believe a marketing agency should have their own for themselves CMO? Yes. Sure. They should absolutely have that. I think if you're going to be an outsourced marketing solution, you should have that. That's just See, my The reason opinion. I ask is because yeah. we have a client that I can think of <clears throat> that are on track to hit over a million okay. and they want to get to that three to five. Right. But in my head, I'm like, hmm. I wonder, like, do they need their own marketing person? Because to your point, the founder and the owner is the one who's trying to do the sales. And it's very like, oh. common. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say yes. And sometimes, but I will say some to make the argument, let's make the argument that you would want to bring in somebody from the outside. The beauty of having fra a fractional person that maybe is not in your company, and a, a positive for that would be they are not in the forest of your, you know, that you, that saying where they say you miss the forest for the trees. When you're in a company, all you're seeing is this, what the beauty of hiring somebody like me or any other fractional CMO is I get the opportunity of working with lots of different types of professional service businesses, not just current, but past. And so I have like all sorts of experiences and things that I have seen. And so I have a higher level view than probably like I'm way up here at the 30,000 foot view. It's a little harder to do. Um, and I don't have the pressure of worrying that if whatever I decide to do or whatever direction we go in, they're going to fire. My life's going to fall apart if my job gets fired. They're going to fire me. They can end my agreement, but it's not 
I don't have that same level of pressure as an employee does. So that's an argument to be made for a fractional person. I do think that an agency, if they're going to offer that service to other people, should have a strategist. Even if you don't want to call them a CML, you should have that if you're going to offer outsourced marketing solutions. And they do need one for their own company. Um, marketers are the worst at marketing for ourselves. The absolute worst at applying our own Wait, stuff. What? We are so bad. I am so bad at doing it to myself. I am really great. You do it for everybody else. So I don't even know why. Ask any of us. We're like, we just we're on the struggle bus with marketing for ourselves for some reason. I it's just like if you were like someone who was a contractor and then you have like all these projects at your house you never finish. It's like your your energy and your emphasis goes to the clients first, naturally. So I am like brain dead by the time I start applying my own strategies. But your other question about 1 million, that tells yeah. me a couple things. One, that they're an established company. That's Mate, important. It, it, that's a that's a vanity metric. I've had clients that are at like 800,000. You know, I have one right now that's like, he's going to hit a million this year. He was probably at 800 when he hired me to. So, I mean, that's kind of a vanity metric, but it tells me that you're established. It tell it gives me some answers to some things. Um, it's not a perfect, it's not a perfect thing. I've worked with companies who were at a million and they were a hot mess and that it didn't last. So it's not perfect. So I would say that's one thing, you know, but it's also monetary. Um, you never want to invest in the retainer that I charge for this service because if you're only making, you know, five, six hundred thousand a year, that might not be wise for you. Maybe the money she offers a premium service. It's a premium it's a service. Premium results. You need to pay premium companies. So that's why we have other options for people who are at 500,000 that can still give them some support, but doesn't kill their profit line or doesn't mean they can't pay themselves like that. I am a hard pass on people not paying themselves. I'm not big on being in the red. No, I want you to have a sustainable lifelong for as long as you want to have it business until you sell it or like give it to a family member or whatever. Like I'm big on that. So I'm trying to protect people from themselves a little bit. And um, so I will tell people, no, if they're not at a certain place, I'm like, well, we have this other thing I think would be better fit. And I sort of guide them over over here instead. It's worked well so far. Hmm. I just want to say it's funny when the marketing lady talks about revenues and profits. I do. It comes up in our, I actually look at, I don't look at hardcore PLs. I don't, but I will ask to see, um, over like a year, I want to see the top three to four months in revenue, what they sold and how they sold it. So I do look at money just more as a data point to prove the best opportunity. So I love CFOs because <laughs> if somebody has one, I get really good data. And if they don't, I'm usually having to dig for it myself, <laughs> which is harder. Just saying, y'all, your own peeps is telling Just saying, you must have a CFO if you're over a million in revenue also. Just saying. If you want to work with her and get premium results. I would love it. Most of mine do. I have a CFO client. He's awesome. And they make my life easy because they're so organized. <laughs> All right. I feel like that's probably a good stopping point. I probably could ask more questions, but I feel like that's a good conclusion which leads us to the end of the call. So this is your time to tell the world who you are, what you do, and most importantly, <clears throat> the best ways to get in touch with you because they may mm -hmm. say, you know what? I'm an agency because we work with a lot of those. And they may say, dang, she's right. I don't put in that same amount of time to my own stuff and my own brand. So I need to figure out a way to get in touch with her. Or they just may be another buddy or shared or referred to the podcast and this was their first episode and they love it. And they're like, I want to work with her. How do they do that? Well, if I just to reiterate, I do fractional CMO work. I also do consulting. So I work with people at mid six figures and then the CMO level is over a million. And our goal is to help people to scale sustainably. So we look for the best opportunities to help you grow and scale your business without you having to work more hours inside your firm or business. So that's our goal. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, that's always the ultimate success driver for us. And the best way to get a hold of me, if you're looking to learn more about what I do and you want to schedule a free consultation where we can talk about where you are, where do you want to be, and what's going to get you there, you go to my website, virtualsimplicity.co, and you will learn all sorts of info about me and you can schedule a free call. If you just want to connect with me on socials, if you're like, she's cool, I want to connect with her, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. And then I'm also like I show up on Instagram as well. Instagram is at virtual simplicity and LinkedIn. You can just type in my name, Carrie Flynn, and it pops up. All right. Oh, tell them this, which, so we got professional services, AKA. Yep. So let's see law firms, particularly okay. in the family law space. So that's like uh divorce, marriage, um, estate planning, probate, you know, wills and trusts, bankruptcy, et cetera, all that good stuff. Um, and then we also do financial firms. So CFO, you know, CPA, you know, that type of stuff and financial planning and of course, agencies and consultants. So, you know, like what Cameron works with marketing agencies, consulting agencies, coaches, et cetera. We work with them as well. All right. So y'all heard it here. Get in touch with her on LinkedIn. That website, tell them one more time, just in case they were scrambling to get the pen and paper. All right, virtualsimplicity.co, not .com, .co. <laughs> Leave the M off. And can you work with people? Are you just Florida-based? Are you just Southeast? All over the U.S. and the world. I've had clients, international clients, U.S. clients, and of course, we'll work locally to Florida as well. Um, we have plenty of space in terms of I'm actually offboarding a client in the CMO, which is like super duper rare. So we are getting ready to have a space there. And then we are running a special on our accelerator, which is great for people who are at maybe the mid six figure range. So if you go to my LinkedIn and you go to my website, you will see details about all of that. She said it better than I could. So <laughs> Mitch is Carrie. We thank you for thinking in our robbery to bless us here on the podcast. Guys, make sure you go connect with her. I think you can hear <clears throat> that she has the experience to get you where you need to go. And it's all for your good. The fact that she won't take anybody below a million is kudos to her for being more concerned about you than not just trying to hurry up and sell you something and take your business. So those are the kind of people that we always push people to work with that you should want to work with somebody integral who's going to really and truly look out for your best interest. So connect with her on LinkedIn. Go to the website, virtualsimplicity.co. No, M. <laughs> and of course, connect with her. I'm sure she'd love to hear about you. If you like the podcast episode, make sure you guys share this with somebody who needs it. Um, and as always, we're going to do our job to try to bring you guys the best guests, the newest guests, people you haven't seen before. And let them come show you that, hey, you can be the greatest thing for your family and still build this empire. You can still keep your marriage for almost 19 years and have great relationships with your kids and all of these different things. So this is Cameron. Thank you guys so much for checking out this episode of Legacy's Journey. We'll talk to y'all soon. Stay safe. Love each other. Peace.